Hello and welcome to We Heard Wonders, the music podcast that's looking through a glass onion. Hey! Ah! How you doing? I'm very well. My name is Andrew. I buy records and write about them on Instagram at kidagh86. And I thoroughly recommend that everyone gets their phone up, opens up Instagram and follows Andrew on Instagram right now. Uh, my name's Ian, I play guitar in Glasgow band The Deadline Shakes and you can find us on all the usual social media places at Deadline Shakes. How you doing man? I'm very well, yeah, I've just uh, celebrated my birthday weekend there, so... Happy birthday! Yeah, thank you very much, yeah. Happy birthday. I remember so, when I was 29, man, it was amazing. So good. Oof, if only I was only 29. <laughs> if, o- if only, if only. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, you ready to buzzing birthday buzzing, ready to smash our music podcast? Here we go. Absolutely, yep. Yeah, very very civilized family time, but um, yeah, yeah, absolutely ready to go. Don't like the sound of that. Jeez, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it was good. I enjoyed it. That's cool. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it, man. Uh, cool. So um, let's raise a virtual birthday music review podcast to you. Cheers. Here you go. Ching ching. Yes, man. <laughs> right, so uh, what we got on the agenda today? Well, we've got our regular uh, new music podcast. So we've got uh, five new tracks to discuss. Mm. And then we're going to uh, look at one of the themes that's talked about in one of the tracks and bring that together in the vinyl word at the end of the show. Oh, and format it's... change. I sense a format change. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're going to do like a special vinyl word this week mm. where we're both going to pick Double. a track. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Doubling up. There we go. Don't back down. Double down. Um, cool. And I believe we have some news fresh from the world of music this week. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I was just interested with this uh, news story that's broke about uh, Elvis Costello. Um, before he was in the attractions, he was in a band called Rusty. And um, he's now announced that he's going to release an album with some of his old mates from 1972. Um in that band so he said oh, nobody would sign this or listen to us at the time but now I've got an audience and I want to play some <laughs> play some music with this band now I, uh, I before we started recording you said I'm just going to tell you some music news right I won't tell you what it is you can just react that's ludicrous that's absolutely ludicrous that is just old man yells at cloud like ah we were making genius music in 1972 when mm. nobody cared oh well uh, I'm just Googled calling the album The Resurrection of Rust. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, I think it is only, to be fair to me, I think it's only going to be available at like his shows and that kind of thing. It's just a wee kind of wee passion project. Yeah, but yeah. It's just, it just got, got me thinking like, is there any bands that you would want to go back to? To their kind of roots, if you like. And Ooh. Like, like, would you want like Radiohead to do like an On a Friday? grunge rock project or something no, like that no I mean <laughs> not really I mean Tom Tom, Tom and Johnny's band uh, is it The Smile because we reviewed one yeah. of their tracks but it's, it's a little bit grungy it's a little bit rockier than Radiohead these days um, so I guess they have kind of touched on that I'll tell you one I would definitely be interested in um, so I don't talk about them much on the podcast because of sort of adverse music uh, sorry adverse uh, news about the front man but Queens of the Stone Age are oft, I often cite them as my favourite band mm-hmm. and I would be very interested in a Caius reunion um, that would be very very good a nice bit of desert stoner 
repetitive fuzzy rock music. Yes, yeah, please. I, that's a good show. A big unsliceable chunk of uh, fuzzy rock. Get me out. Get it all about me, please. Thank you. Yeah, good show. Yeah. Uh, what about your first band? Like, what, what what did they sound like? Um, well, amazing. Uh, obviously, obviously, um, obviously. Um, well, they sounded quite, quite a lot like Queens of the Stone Age, to be honest, <laughs> uh, and quite a lot like Twenty Twenty Two Jack White, as we discovered a few weeks ago. Um, of course, yeah. No, they basically um, that band. We should came say about... we should say you, you gave me the recording of that track, and it was ridiculously similar. <laughs> was, mentioned that it was oddly similar, yeah. Oh, well. um, it just it just happens that way sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So basically, the 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 band came about um, just from a group of a group of pals, basically, and we didn't have much experience of being in bands, really. Um, I think maybe I had the most, possibly. Um, but literally, the drummer had only really started playing drums when when we got together, and he like grew immensely in like a year. He went from just like you know, really just one or two basic beats to really thumping away. Um, and uh, we played we played fairly full-on uh, rock, which kind of went on the edge of being a bit punky and a bit thrashy at times. Um, and I sort of tried to... This is going to sound so ridiculous, right? But bear in mind, I was about 20 at the time. But... Um, or was I? I was older than that. I hope I wasn't. But anyway, I, I tried to, when we were playing gigs, affect a kind of like persona like a rock star kind of persona um and there are just my pals just remind me of all the like ludicrous times i tried to say cool stuff and it just fell flat on its face so <laughs> so many times um so, uh, so uh, yeah. what kind of stuff oh uh, stuff is barely airable on our podcast to be honest like um we were playing a gig i remember playing a, a gig in a packed venue in glasgow um maybe the box on sucky hall street which is is it still there? I don't even know. Um, yeah, it's still there. Acoustically, probably the worst venue in Glasgow because you're standing next to a window. Like, you're mm. playing in front of a window. So it just sounds bizarre. Even really good bands sound weird in there. Um, and it was packed. It was like a Saturday night or whatever. And uh, we were playing. And as people were leaving, <laughs> I would just stop playing and just shout at them and ask them where they were going and why they were leaving. And I mean, it's like, it's like a bar on Sucky Hill Street <laughs> on a Saturday night at like nine o'clock. Of course, people are milling around. Um, but I just thought it was kind of cool and kind of funny. And Do you not recognise my genius? I know. It, but the thing is, I, I sort of, it, I didn't do it seriously. Like, I, I kind of knew this isn't actually how I feel. I was just kind of doing it for, because I thought people would talk about it. I thought people would think it was kind of rock star or whatever. Um, and I, I kind of grew out of that stuff a little bit, I think. Um, sort of worked out ways to not embarrass myself like that any further. Um, what were you doing then in 2005 and stuff, 2006? Well, but I mean, I was just, I'd, uh, probably writing for the student newspaper, uh, going to gigs and that kind of thing. Have we ever said that we both wrote for the same student newspaper at different times, but we didn't know each other? We said that on air before. I don't no, I don't think we have. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think we just we must have just missed each other. Yeah, like ships passing in the night. What was the new newspaper called? Strathclyde. Strathclyde Telegraph. Telegraph. That was it. Yeah, Strathclyde Telegraph. Um, yeah, I was the the music editor there for for a year, basically because my pals were on the on the newspaper editorial team, <laughs> so they voted me on. Um, it was quite cool. I did a competition and things like this during the year. Uh, yeah, halcyon days, my friend. Halcyon yeah, days, yeah. 
I enjoyed writing reviews for them, and you got a lot of like gig tickets as well. Oh yeah. Um, I remember there was one show I got to see a uh, singer songwriter that I really like called Richard Swift. So I got tickets for his show, and they said you can have the tickets as long as you do um, the the kind of uh, promotion on the door before the gig. So. <laughs> you know, you know. So, what, what are the support acts are on and stuff? You have to go around the crowd and uh, get the email addresses of all the different crowd members. Jeez! And uh, it was like a Monday night or something like that. So there wasn't many people about. So I was just kind of milling about, trying to get a few um, or uh, email addresses. There wasn't many people there, um, and I was just like, "Yeah, you're Richard's my fan. Do you want to sign up for his um, for his um, you know gig dates and alerts and all that kind of stuff?" So I went with a few people. Um, and then went up to the crowd in the corner. I said, do you want to uh, sign up for Richard Swift uh, alerts? He said, I am Richard Swift. <laughs> <laughs> and then he took a beat and he, went, he said, I'm going to fucking kill my promoter. Because <laughs> he kind of looked around and he just like, saw this like, empty venue. <laughs> <laughs> Never meet your heroes, man. Never meet your heroes. Uh, it was so embarrassing. I, I mean, I was a fan of his music. I just was, you know, I was just kind of in... Autopilot mode again. Um, <laughs> I just, I just, I couldn't really enjoy the gig after that because I was just beaming. Cause I was like so, so embarrassed. Well, yeah, I, I remember um, getting tickets to review Idlewild um, uh, as part of my thing, and I was in love with the album at the time. It was, um, oh, it was the one that had American English on it. Is that the song? Uh, yeah. yeah, remote, remote part. In remote part, yeah, cause, and the, the one of the final, the title track was called Scottish Fiction. And it had Edwin Morgan's voice reading a poem over the end of the track, which it, I just, just blew my mind at the time. Yeah. I just thought it was amazing. Um, so I, and I got to interview them as well. Went backstage and, and chatted to the bass player um, who couldn't have given less of a shit about talking to me and some <laughs> other random guy from the newspaper. So oh, That can happen sometimes, I know. I had a few experiences like that, so yeah. One of the one of the guys that I was on the newspaper with, uh, I haven't haven't reached out to him on Twitter yet, but um, I saw his name on Twitter. This guy, I won't mention his name on the podcast, but I saw him on Twitter, uh, and he was the sports section editor. Yeah, this must be thrilling for our listeners. He's <laughs> 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 the sports section editor, and I noticed he's now a fairly prominent golf journalist online. Um, okay. So he actually translated somehow translated the. Uh, the, the sort of student journalism into an actual career in journalism. I feel like you and I have sort of fumbled the bag a little bit. <laughs> uh, but does he have a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Probably goes on the proper radio and gets paid for it. Okay, guys, so we've got five new tracks this week um, on our review podcast. We have tracks from uh, Gold Panda, Rachel Chinariri, Helga Eiberg, and RJ McKendry. And I'm sorry, <laughs> and Yama Warashi. Thank you, Andrew. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Why does it feel like I just read a really complicated Wi-Fi password? Yeah, there we go. Anyway, so uh, let's uh, let's smash right into this this week. We've got the giggles this week, right? So um, first track is uh, Gold Panda. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here the track go. is called uh, I Felt Better Than I Do Now yes here we go let's go away for a while is that a Beach Boys reference? of course 
Hey, Andrew and I absolutely love that so many of you have continued to support this podcast over the last couple of years. And you're probably asking yourself, is it possible for me to financially support this podcast? And do you know what? What, Ian? What? Tell me. You definitely, definitely can. All you need to do is go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash wondersand And for the price of just a couple of lattes, you can support the ongoing running of this podcast. Pit sounds.
Okay, guys, so that's our first track of uh, today, and it is electronic music, I cautiously say. Is that right? Absolutely. Dance music, yeah, I know, I'm kidding. Um, so it's a Gold Panda um, with the track I Felt Better Than I Do Now. Um, so, uh, yeah, tell us, tell us about uh, Gold Panda, please. Sure thing. Yeah, so Gold Panda is an English electronic record producer and songwriter. Real name is Darwin Schlecker. Um, and he was born in London, raised in Essex. And uh, he's got a real affinity for Japan as well. So he lived in Japan, studied at the School of Oriental and African Studies at mm. the University of London. Um, and I think some of that comes into the music as well. Um, and uh, yeah, he's been away for a wee while. His last record was called Good Luck and Do Your Best, which came out in 2016. And that was a record inspired by kind of further travels to Japan as well. And it worked as a, like a travelogue style record. Um, and yeah, he's been off. He's been away for you know, six or seven years now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think it's cool to have him back. Um, he's talked about having a daughter in this time. So he said, I made this when my daughter was two years old and I felt knackered and I turned 41. Um, uh, the samples just came together and sounded like I felt better. Uh, and at the same time, I was looking at my antidepressants, feel, feeling tired, and I just thought, ha, that, that sounds right. Um, yeah, so he, he's kind of talked about uh, this record maybe coming out of a slightly difficult time of his life. Uh, although he, he said, although ironically, I probably feel better now than I did 10 years ago, and I'm a bit healthier as well. Uh, and then the most kind of um, kind of understated use of parenthesis ever, he, in brackets, he says, um, apart from when I had that brain hemorrhage last year. <laughs> that's, just, that's kind of like a wee aside you know, a wee brain hammer is just on the side but, oh man um, so yeah so he's, he's, he's been for a bit bit of a time uh, but he's coming back with this uh, new record and I think it's kind of a bit ironic the title when you consider the music which is really kind of giddy fizzy fun yeah not beat um, so I, think, a, I think there's definitely a bit of playfulness with that it's very euphoric this uh, this track I would say like I, I do when I've listened to it feel like it kind of makes you feel happy, makes you feel positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm not entirely sure about how, how well the title matches up with the, the track, although I do like it when artists do a wee mixture of uh, feelings and, and make you think one thing, like give you a really happy sounding song with sort of like sadder lyrics on top. I always think that bittersweet thing is really good. Yeah. But this one isn't obviously very lyric heavy. His, his no, his uh, instrument of choice is an Akai MPC sampler. Yes. Uh, so he kind of takes stuff from the the past and rearranges it and repurposes it um, in his music. And um, I've got a quote from him that, that he said in the past: "I usually find stuff that I hope no one really knows or cares about. If I'm ripping off something that's already brilliant, what's the point?" So I think he likes he likes to kind of take things that that maybe aren't fulfilling their potential and put them into a different context. Um, what does Maka say? A great artist borrows and a genius steals, is that what he says? There you go. Um, yeah, so he's obviously kind of mixed and matched a few different sounds together and they've kind of formed in his head uh, that this uh, this title, I felt better. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I'll, I'll give it my usual word of warning that I don't want to come across in any way as a dance music expert because I'm really, really not. 
Um, but uh, I, for context, listened to this one at the gym um, and uh, found it quite like motivational and, and I, I, I did enjoy it. Um, but in terms of specific stuff to say about it, I guess if I'm going to be critical about it, I mean, I know this is a very empty thing to say about a piece of dance music, but it is quite repetitive. I mean, there's, there's like, it's a solid groove. Um, that that is enjoyable, but it it does it doesn't really have a huge amount of variety to it. Um, but it's a super interesting uh, groove. Like the 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 refrain is good. I think. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have a problem with the repetitiveness of. It. I think that is kind of what he does. Um, he had a re- his his debut record was called Lucky Shiner, and it had the the opening track was just a real kind of call to arms. It was called You. And it was just repeating that that word over and over again um, in, in slightly different contexts. And it was just a fantastic piece of music. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of what is what he does. I mean, in this track, he does break it. It breaks down into that Middle Eastern segment in the middle. Well, that's true. That's true. Which I quite like. And then it builds back up again. Yeah. So there, there, is some, there is some movement in the track. Um, it sounds like a koto, which is um, kind of a ziver instrument from Asia that's what it sounds like to me but maybe wrong it does make me think of um I don't know why exactly but it does make me think of like images in my head of like Tokyo and bullet trains and that kind of stuff it does have a sort of flavor of that yeah um electronic touch of 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 that kind of stuff but I don't really know particularly why um it just kind of makes me makes me think of that um Cool. Well, a good opener, a nice positive opener today. Um, bit of dance music, can't beat that. Um, so that takes us on to something a little different. Um, now I'm I'm wondering if I'm pronouncing this correct, but I've gone with Rachel Chinuriri. Um, I, I like that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I can't say whether it's right or wrong. But it I really appreciate good. your effort. <laughs> it sounds good to me. <laughs> well, Rachel. Uh, surname to be determined, Shinna Riri, um is uh, singing her song All I Ever Asked and we should listen to it right about now, what do you think? Absolutely. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
So that was Richard Chinariri and All I Ever Asked. And uh, yeah, I think this is a quite a cool contemporary track, I would say. Yeah, I would <laughs> say so too. I, Not, I think it's quite... Like, ins- uh, uh, go sorry, on. After you, after you. No, after you. I was going to say, it's, I, th- I feel like it's quite inspired by what's popular right now, this track. Yeah, yeah. Um, a, particular, a particular sound. Um, you know, it's a, an artist whose name might rhyme with Kailish, you know, Billy Kailish. Uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think it's <laughs> some something in the production here and something in the, the vocal performance that reminded me immediately of Billy Eilish. Um, maybe just <clears throat> not quite so minimalist in its production, mm-hmm. um, a, bit, a bit fuller, a, a bit of a fuller sound, but still very minimal. I mean, for the for the early verses, you're talking basically a drum beat, um, some very kind of like uh, you know close in guitar sound where it's you know the pick the pick is kind of you can hear the pick on the string. It's so kind of like closely um, performed to, to the microphone or whatever. And the electric guitar is playing stuff which is all pan muted, um, so it's got that kind of like um, close in sound. And then also with her vocal. Which is very very controlled. Um, is is again? She's so close to the microphone. She must be like millimeters away from it. Um, and she's got the same sort of Billy Eilish thing where she finishes a finishes a, a a word in a lyric with a note, and it's got a very very brief and controlled trill at the end of you know a sort of at the end of at the mm-hmm. end of the word. Um, and she does that quite. The, and there's also this thing as well where you kind of feel. Um, the vowels that she says, vowels, like E, I, O, and you, because she can't even work out my stupid Glaswegian accent. Um, they're kind of like gooey. You know, they're kind of just, they sort of almost feel like they're spilling out of the words and they're more kind of bassy or something than the rest of the, the, rest of the letters in the words. Um, that's how I always think about uh, this particular vocal style, um, which is so kind of almost ASMR in how close it is to the to the microphone. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a really good observation. Thank um, you, thank you. Just, Which makes up for the shite I talked about gold panda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not just the sound, though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's all about attitude, really, isn't it? It's that kind yes. of not not trying too hard, just that kind of considered cool. I think. Yeah, um, and yeah, I, I really, really like just the the kind of vibe of this track. Um, musically, it makes me think of. Uh, you know things like like Haim a little bit, a little bit. It's, yeah. it's, it's a little bit enthralled to the eighties and that very kind of produced sound. There's a bit, there's a bit of kind of like Chris Rear on the beach almost or something. Like that. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like um, it's always been cool to look as if you're not trying, like to look yeah. as if something's totally effortless. And I remember, um, but you always get sucked in by that. It's very easy to get sucked in by that thing. It just looks like oh, they just casually just 
you know, did that, you know, on on the spur of the moment or whatever. And it's really not, it's really not that easy. Like, no. Um, one of the one of the artists who really, um, this is a strange reference point, I'm aware, but one of the artists that really, um, always captured me with that, uh, was Pete Doherty and the Libertines, where everything looked completely effortless and as if it was just done on a first take and all that sort of stuff, um, and it, that it really really wouldn't have been the case like it really wasn't the case um no. it was it was designed to look effortless but very very carefully considered um and there's a wee bit of that in here i think um and that's not a criticism you know i think people should judge things carefully and everything and the fact it comes off as as effortless is is, is really is really a, a you know it's, it's a good thing it's cool no definitely yeah um so she's somebody who's uh, quite a big deal online as well. So she mm. she started by putting, uh, you know, making records herself and putting them up in SoundCloud. Um, she, her last track, or, or it was a 2019 track, um, has become a bit of a sensation on TikTok. Ah, um, and I, I can imagine that that kind of, that kind of <laughs> you know that that but I, I can imagine that just totally taking off on TikTok as well, just people doing, I don't know. Doing all different things and stuff for that. <laughs> I'm just going to shout out um, various record labels like Parlophone, who she signed to, <laughs> let them know that you are available. Uh, you will work for basically free, free records. Uh, <laughs> he will do promo at your gigs and uh, you know go up to the artist and ask them if they want to sign up to their own mailing list. Uh, this is a super cool track, though. To get back to the, I think so. to the yeah, very good. Very good. I, I think she's um, maybe a one to watch. What do we think? It seems to be that way. I think she's kind of on the rise, definitely. Um, her music was used in um, Michaela Cole's series, I May Destroy You, um, which, which, I, which I absolutely loved at the time. Um, so she does have tracks that kind of go a bit deeper into um, social uh, racial issues and that kind of thing. Yes. Um, as well as doing stuff around heartbreak but uh, yeah i think she's a really definitely one to watch yeah and just seems seems very kind of, yeah just very down to earth but got her finger on the pulse mm. i just have one question what is tiktok i don't even really know <laughs> <laughs> i'm being sarcastic i'm being sarcastic i actually i've never really used tiktok for any length of time i downloaded it once and i couldn't really work out what to what it was, and then I realised it was just like a long stream of crap, and then I just deleted it. I may be missing out. I don't know. Are you a TikToker, TikTokist? No, I've only experienced it um, on the bus when other people have been like watching it. It's just, <laughs> oh god, it's that's the worst. Migraine interesting. Oh man. But, um, but yeah, I suppose it depends who you're following. Yes. Um, does it? I'm not, I'm not sure it does. I'm not sure it does. Okay, well, that's made us sound incredibly old and cantankerous. So let's uh, let's move on. I, I accused Elvis Costello of being old man yells at cloud, and then just had a rant about TikTok. Um, okay, so I'm very excited to talk about this next track, Andrew. I've been looking forward to talking to it, talking about it, and to it since you sent the playlist over. Good. Um, so we have Helga. Iberg, Eberg. What do you think? Iberg, I'd go for. Iberg, Helga Iberg, um, with Blackbird. 
So that was Helga Eiberg and a little ditty called Blackbird. Yeah, I've heard that one before somewhere. But not on Helga Eiberg's Black and White album. I heard it on the Beatles' White album. Um, yeah, what is it? Is nothing, is nothing sacred anymore? Is that right, Andrew? It's nothing sacred anymore. You know, it's nothing sacrosanct. Well, the Beatles definitely aren't because they're they're probably the most covered band of all time. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And music shouldn't be like that. It should be people, you know, open to interpretation and and, and so on. So this is clearly a lovely piano interpretation of Blackbird. Um, I have some thoughts about it. What what did you think of it? What what would you choose this one? Um, So this was a record that came out uh, a couple of months ago and I just read about it um, this week. Um, I just investigated it and yeah, I, I, I was quite beguiled by it. I uh, thought it was a, a, an interesting idea. So the, the idea with this is that rather than coming from it from a um, you know kind of really kind of studious approach, he's he's come from it as a Beatles fan. So he's classically trained mm-hmm. and a jazz pianist, but he hasn't kind of looked at the, the sheet music or anything like that in a while. So he's kind of playing from memory. So mm. he's kind of looking back on, you know, kind of had grown up and, and loving the music and thinking, well, what, what do I remember about it? What are the things that kind of leap out to me in my memory about these tracks? And he's kind of used that as a starting point and extrapolated out from there. And um, he's, he's chosen some kind of tracks that may be a bit more obvious that you could maybe do in a kind of jazz or classical style. So you things like Here Comes the Sun, um, Nowhere Man, this beautiful version of Nowhere Man. And Michelle um, as well, is that right? Is that Michelle, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's a few other ones that maybe wouldn't be so obvious. So you've got an Obla Dee, Obla Da. You've got Yellow Submarine. Nice. Um, Lady Madonna, a few other ones. No, not gone for like Tomorrow Never Knows. <laughs> Like no, 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 no glass onion, unfortunately. Ah, damn, damn. But yeah, I just, I just um, spent a bit of time with this album this week, and I was quite keen to hear your thoughts on it as well. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's lovely, and there's a couple of things that I particularly liked about it. First thing, um, attend. We, we've reviewed sort of solo piano pieces uh, a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, this one in particular, I think, um, again, I'll say people must think this is, oh, it's dead easy. You just point a microphone at the back of the piano, but it's really not that simple. Um, but it just sounds, it just sounds so good. Like this is just expert stuff. Um, when I Googled, uh, Helga, I noticed that he's been like nominated for millions of awards, including Norwegian Grammys and the Edward Greek prize and, and all sorts of stuff. So this is, this is clearly someone who is, um, you know, an expert, a virtuoso. Um, but he makes a really interesting stylistic choice right at the start of the track, I think, which led me down a kind of line of thinking, right? So um, I've got my guitar on my knee here, right? Because I wanted to kind of, I wanted to kind of like demonstrate this to an extent right now. Um, so if you listen to the, the, the opening of the track, he basically just kind of touches out the the like opening guitar line of of uh, of Blackbird right which McCartney just mimics with with his vocal melody right so it's kind of just like right just that right but somewhere in there and the following line Helga 
has some notes that aren't aren't fully major, like like the chords that I was playing there. Mm-hmm. There's the, the odd flattened note in there, which makes some of the chords feel slightly minor, right? Yeah. So then I was thinking about this, and I was like, mm, that's an interesting choice, because to me, Blackbird is, is, generally speaking, I would consider it to be quite a an upbeat and, and uh, joyful song. It does have a touch of sadness to it overall, uh, the original Beatles version, that is. Um, and I think uh, Helga's kind of... Uh, leaned into that element of it a little bit mm-hmm. um, and when I saw that the, the album title was The Black and White Album I sort of thought oh he's taking a kind of like he has taken a kind of chiaroscuro type approach to this where he's looking at you know not just the sort of joyful major part of this track he's also thinking about you know maybe taking it in a slightly darker uh, direction which I thought was fascinating and certainly something that I mean, I've been playing Blackbird on guitar for pff, 20 years, something like that, easily, maybe longer. Um, and I've, ne- I've never thought about doing like that. I've never thought about deviating even one of the notes <laughs> other than the way it's supposed to be played. <laughs> um, so it, when I'm saying at the start of this review, like, it's nothing sacred anymore. No, it isn't, but it's, it, it's really, really clever how he's done it. Um, and if you'll indulge me, there was one other section that I particularly liked, Um so later, no, go th- for it. I'm loving this live demonstration. <laughs> later, well, I can't demonstrate this bit, but later into the middle of the uh, the track, um, he does a section where there's a series of chords which he plays. I feel like um, he plays them like lowest note to highest note, and then after he's played the chord, there's like a series of like then descending right hand notes on the piano that sound a little bit like scattery and kind of like almost disorganized in a way and then you have another one of these highly organized like sweeping chords and it just sounds like birds flying in that sort of like skittery kind of way you know flap of the wings and moving left and right and unpredictably and it did it did sound to me like it was the audio suggestion of um a blackbird in flight um again a really interesting way to take this track because of course on the original track um there is a sample of of birdsong, yeah. um, which, uh, as all Beatles nerds know, is sort of chronically badly done <laughs> in a way. Like it just sounds kind of shit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the bird the bird song on on Blackbird. I always think a bit cheesy, um, but of course that's now part of its part of its aura and part of its charm, um, and and definitely works. So I thought it was really interesting that he also took that aspect of it and kind of played around on on that too. So. Um, yeah, this is this is really good stuff. This is really really good. Um, I'm glad you I'm glad you broke your own rules and didn't just go for something totally totally current because it's definitely worth talking about this for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, especially the you know, the first kind of minute or so when it when it is playing around with the the kind of the key motifs of Blackbird. They're just yeah. just absolutely beautiful. The recording of it's just stunning. I think, and it just take, just transports you somewhere. Yeah. Um and then once he's established that he just he has a bit of a play around with it mm. um and improvises around it. Be interesting in to know whether as well. be interesting to know if he um because my guess would be that he obviously played this a number of times. I wonder if he had these sections, these sort of um improvised sections kind of mapped out in a way, where he was kind of going, Oh, I will do this bit, right? And I'll I know I'll I know I'll get to that bit. But he didn't necessarily have it all, you know, written down, or whether it was highly, highly organised. 
and you know it was kind of written down in, in sheet music form. I don't know, I don't know, but it's whatever he did, like is is magic stuff. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Friend, the, the, friend of friend of the pod, Nathan, right. is going to be all over this like <laughs> Nutella on toast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's something about I don't know if it's just in the recording of it as well. There's something that feels very, um, you know, that kind of go, the golden age of of uh, songwriting that the, the Beatles kind of overtook, if you like, the okay, kind of Cole Porters and your your mm. Gershwins and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if it's it's trying to put the Beatles in that kind of lineage as well of of the kind of of the great composers or yeah, you know. Well, I mean, that's where they're going, isn't it? Ultimately, like that's that's the direction of travel for them. I, I'm not piano nerd enough to be able to tell you like what type of piano this was, but um, when I look at pictures of him, he always seems to be playing an upright piano, um, which was you know the Beatles played upright pianos, but it doesn't it doesn't sound like it's recorded on an enormous to me anyway. But I don't really know what I'm talking about. But it doesn't sound like it's recorded on an enormous you know, stage-filling grand piano type thing. It does sound... Uh, it does sound different somehow. Um, and more kind of homely and familiar and, and real in a way. Um, but maybe it was recorded on some giant piano. What do I know? I'm not an expert. Um, but yeah, uh, Andrew, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Good. Lovely. I love it too. Yes. Um, and it's dead smart because the keys on a piano are black and white as well. So there's that. Did you think there of that? Yeah. <laughs> Joe else is black and white. Uh, uh, the zebra crossing on Abbey Road. Whoa. Now we're going deep. Now we are <laughs> going deep. Now we are going deep. Yeah. Uh, do you know what else is black and white? Go on. Revolver cover is black and white as well. Sure. So. Do you know what else is black and white? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in Ivory. Yes. Oh, oh, oh God. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm going to have to see the Frog Chorus to help us forget about Ebony and Ivory. Um, right. So, good stuff there, for sure. Everyone should check out the rest of that record. It's it's a banger. Um, right, so we're going to switch over now and listen to something else. And what is this we're going to listen to? This is a track by uh, an act called R.G. McKendry. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I try, 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 try
That was RJ McKendry, and the track was called Villager. So confession time for me, okay, um, which you don't mind saying in front of everyone. Um, I'll carry my shame like a badge of honour, actually. Um, so every week, Andrew sends me a playlist for consideration for the podcast, and I listen to it, and we chat about it a little bit. And <laughs> this particular track wasn't on the playlist for a variety of reasons, and Andrew sent me a separate text message right underneath saying, also listen to this one. And I didn't, like an idiot. So what I had to do there was just pause our recording and go and listen to it. And aren't I glad I did? How good is that? And really interesting backstory as well, which I'm sure you're about to tell us about. It is, yeah. Yeah. No, I really like this track and uh, the album that it's from as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so probably the best place to start in terms of the backstory is with a guy called Tom Cox, um, who is... uh, very successful writer uh, and journalist. Uh, so he started off as a kind of rock writer, and uh, over time he's made a, a variety of books and short stories. Um, Andrew, is this, is, is this another guy that was like student student writer and stuff, and like made it big? And we fumbled the bag. <laughs> I know uh, we should be really bitter about these guys, <laughs> but I uh, can't help but like Tom Cox. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he he started off as a, as a writer and uh, of music, and as I say, he's moved into the nonfiction. He had a, a book about golf um, that was really successful, and he, he's became known primarily recently as an, a, a, an amazing writer about nature and the, the British landscape. Mm. Um, and he's just released his first novel, which is called Villager, and it tells the story of... Uh, this village in the West Country in the 1960s that is um, infiltrated by uh, a Californian musician. It says a Californian musician blows through a West Country village where he writes a set of haunting songs that will earn him a group of obsessive fans and a cult following. Um, so it's kind of tapping into that kind of record collector culture, I guess, that's, that's happened where you every, every year or so you kind of unearth another... You know, lost gem that, yeah. that, that didn't do anything at the time, but it's it, but it's incredible, and you, you need to hear it, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so the, the story tells the story of of this musician and those fans, um, and it kind of moves through the decades as well. So I think it kind of moves up to the nineties, 
um, and there's some kind of mystery uh, involving this record and also some of the, the other events that have occurred in the past. So it's really interesting. It's, it's Cox kind of bringing together his love of uh, nature and music, and psychedelia and folklore. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we've done enough of talking on this podcast you know those oh, a lot of those things are kind of up my street as well <laughs> um and cox is a, like an incredible uh incredibly knowledgeable guy when it comes to like psychedelic music and acid folk from the 60s and things like that mm-hmm. and um what what he's been able to get to accompany this book is a soundtrack to it so he's got a, a mate uh called will will twinham uh, or Will Twynham, and um, he's actually from London, he's not from California, but he has imagined um, what this record, this lost acid folk classic from 1968 would sound like, Yeah, and this is what he's came up with, um, and he's gone under the, the alias R.J. McKendry, um, and uh, yeah, so this is the, the track Villager. Um, and I'd say this is probably the most polished track on the record. I know it doesn't seem particularly hi-fi, but I think this is probably the most immediately catchy track on the record, maybe. Yeah. But it's 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 a really cool idea, and it's a really cool album as well. The album's called Wallflower. Yeah. Now, listen, from a recording point of view here, um, if you're going to make something sound like it's from a sort of folky, psychedelic 1968 record... Um, there's a couple of things you're probably going to have to do, right? And R.J. Uh, McKendree, or Will Twinham, has, in fact, done these things and done them rather well, I think. So he's got um, an acoustic guitar part that is, like, uh, kind of intricate but also kind of loose. Um, and it's probably yeah. probably played in some kind of open tuning. Um, so for guitarists listening out there, that means not concert pitch, but it means, like, an open G chord when you strum the... Um, when you're on the six strings. So that always gives a kind of droning uh, feeling. Um, and you use that to kind of, um, sometimes you can use it to provide a kind of depth to, to a sound or um, you can use it to play, if you want to play a particular thing, you might have to, to detune it. Very popular in the 60s, very popular with like uh, Led Zeppelin. Um, yeah. You use that type of thing quite a lot. So there's a, a touch of that kind of acoustic guitar playing in here from maybe like Led Zeppelin 3 sort of-ish. Um and you're going to need to swamp the entire thing in reverb, enough yeah. reverb to drown a small village, actually. <laughs> um, so the vocals are dripping with reverb. The guitar part is dripping with reverb. There's a sort of uh, counter guitar part towards the end, a sort of solo-y part, um, which I think is just more of more acoustic guitar, but it's so so affected by, by reverb and, and, and things like that and delay and so on. It's almost, you can't really work out initially, well, what is it? Is it keys? What is it? Um, but it's, re- it's really cool. The singing as well, um, if we think back to when we were listening to the the uh, earlier track by um, Rachel Chinariri, um, where I was saying she's purposefully so, so close to the microphone and um, you can really hear every kind of noise and every, you know, every enunciation of every word. Whereas here, this is this is almost like around a campfire, um, sort of yelling up to the sky, kind of singing. Yeah. Um, much less, much less controlled, much more kind of open to to errors and and, and stuff like that. It, it's just a totally different approach, obviously. Yeah. And very, makes very... me think that maybe like the microphone's just covered in cobwebs or something like that. It's like it's just <laughs> so much gauze. Possib- 
possibly as well um, done in uh, one take. I don't mean as in they only did it once, but one take as in um, guitar and guitar and vocal at the same time to one yeah. microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, very possible. The old sort of that would be how we'd, you'd often record things like that in the early sixties. Um, so so yeah, a very very evocative um, of of that time period and that style of music. Um, guitar playing was was good. Nice breakdown in the middle. Um, and then there's a bit somewhere in there where a, a kick drum or a foot tap um, comes in and provides just a little bit of pulsing rhythm. Um, and as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, aye, here we go. Very nice. Very nice <laughs> indeed. Very nice. Good. Yeah, but there's other tracks that, that kind of go off in a more kind of psychedelic direction that go in a kind of a backwards guitar, um, more kind of thumping drums and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's other ones that are a little bit more kind of whimsical talking about singing about animals and things like that and uh, these these kind of characters that maybe populate the village as well um but yeah i think it's it's, it's a really fascinating uh record and i'd really recommend people checking it out um and i thought i'd maybe give a few recommendations this is where you, i'm going to say some names as if you, they're just everyday names that you should believe <laughs> okay um so I, I think definitely somebody that, that immediately came to mind for me when you think about R.G. McKendry, I was thinking of F.J. McMahon, mm, uh-huh. who had who had a record called Spirit of the Golden Juice. Oh, I love that one. Mm. In, 19, in 1969, uh, which is a really, is a kind of total one-off uh, like acid folk record. Very kind of lo-fi, he's kind of like an outsider artist. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy called Alexander Skip Spence, who was in the original version of Moby Grape. Um, he had a record called Ore. Uh, O-A-R, which is uh, another kind of acid folk classic. And also there's there's one called Dreaming with Alice as well by a guy called Mark Fry that's mm. kind of pulling on, you know, ideas of uh, Britishness and Alice in Wonderland and all that kind of stuff. So I think those are some records that that were maybe in mind when he was making this. Yeah, I mean that that sounds uh, that sounds like as always, Andrew. Like you really bloody know your stuff. <laughs> as always, <laughs> um, cool. That's such a cool concept. Like it's an amazing, um, an amazing, an amazing thing. Um, have you ever read any of uh, this guy's novels or journalism before? Uh, I've just read some of his journalism. Yeah, I actually follow him on Twitter as well. He's doing a thing on Twitter at the moment where he's actually selling off some stuff from his record collection. Oh really? Um, and I'm just like watching it, just thinking, I want that, I want that, I want that. But I've been, it, it's kind of he's because I just said, just DM me, and it's like the first person to DM gets the records. But um, I guess it's all stuff that he's got like duplicates of, but he's just got an insane collection of yeah. um, 60s and early 70s stuff. Wow, cool. So he's all a right. cool guy. He's one of his uh, books is called "Bring Me the Head of Sergio Garcia," who I believe is a golfer. Yes, that was the goal. Yeah, that's cool. Cool title. Um, okay, so lots of strength to Tom Cox's arm and RJ McHenry's arms as well. Um, okay, so that takes us to our final new track of the week, um, which is, well, talking about things that are right up your street, Andrew. I just knew. I looked at the title of this. I looked at the name of the artist. I gave it like 40 seconds. And I thought, yep, the boy likes this. He does indeed. <laughs> um, okay, so this is Yama Warashi. Uh, and I'd just love it if you could just tell us what the track's called. It's called Makaroi Mizu. Ah, very good, very good. I tried to catch you out there, failed miserably. <laughs> um, cool, man, let's, let's give it a bash, shall we? Absolutely. 
界の水真っ黒い水都会の Right, so that was as mad as a sack of badgers, Andrew. Am I right? I think that's fair to say, absolutely. <laughs> but none the worse for that. No, no, no. A really interesting lesson. And a, a definitely a, a kind of track of three parts, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we have this sort of like droning kind of intro, and then the, the vocal comes in over the top of it, and I'm sort of making sense of that. And then there's a, like a total tonal and stylistic shift into a kind of like it's almost like kind of cheesy, slightly funky, but like sort of, you know, the sort of plastic funk kind of yes. thing. Yes, yeah. And yeah. then it moves into this very intense section at the end, which like builds up into a huge crescendo and then dissipates away. So, I mean, the lyrics, I can't, I can't understand the lyrics, obviously. So maybe if I knew them, this would all kind of, I'd go, ah, right, that's why. But um, somehow I suspect not. Yeah, no, I think that's probably <laughs> fair. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a kind of sense of kind of playfulness and absurdity to the whole thing. Hundred percent, yeah. And you're you're probably not meant to kind of get a concrete meaning from it. It is more, yeah, abstract than that, I guess. Yeah. Um. So this is the new project from uh, a musician called Yoshino Shigara. Um, and uh, she came to prominence in a band called Zunzun Egui. Um, their name was chosen because she thought that it sounded like the Japanese words for fast, fast, weird. Ah, right. Um, so, so that kind of gives a sense of what they sounded like. So that, that was a kind of very kind of kinetic fusion of like post-rock, uh, psychedelia, uh, Afrobeat, punk as well. Um, and they, they always kind of delivered everything. All the videos were always really kind of very kind of bright and colourful, the choreographed dance routines and that kind of thing. So there was a sense of yeah, just fun about the whole thing. Um, and I think she's kind of bringing that to this new project, Yam, Yama Warashi. Um, mm. And that translates in her native tongue to small childlike mountain spirit. <laughs> So, so right. again, we're kind of <laughs> right. we're in the kind of the kind of realms of kunatic here. I think the kind of the children of the moon kind of thing. Yes, and um, yeah, and and that links in with with her uh, releases to date. So she's had an EP called Moon Zero, and she's had two previous albums called Moon Egg and Boiled Moon, <laughs> <laughs> and then this new album's called Crispy Moon. Ah, uh, Crispy Moon. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just love it. I think it's great. See when um, you were wee, did your mum ever give you crispy pancakes by <laughs> I didn't have the pleasure, no, no. Oh well, fair enough. Uh, but um so yeah, for this project she's um she, she's described it as being inspired by Japanese folk dance, free jazz, tribal African music, and psychedelia. Mm-hmm. Um and I think as you say, there's there's kind of bad taste funk in there, there's a little bit of new age music there's a bit of dub as well i think yeah. in there there is uh, a bit of re- kind of like jaunty reggae stuff going on so yeah it's just a total mixture of stuff uh but i just i can't help but be charmed by this track i just it just makes me smile you do like this kind of thing you i do, do. I, do. I, I have to say i was a little bit charmed by it as well because i just sort of was like 
laughing and smiling yeah. as I was listening to it. And I, I don't suppose it's... I mean, I, I was loving uh, Helge, Helge Iberg's uh, <laughs> cover of Blackbird earlier on, but mm. I wasn't he giggling my way through it, you know what I mean? Whereas um, with this, this obviously just kind of touches you in a different place. Big shout out to two things, right? Number one, the uh, record cover for Crispy Moon, which is mm-hmm. just bizarre, right? So it's it's a sunset or a sort of... Yeah, it's a sunset, I would say, a horizon shot. Um, the sky is pink and it's uh, at the bottom of the photograph and there's a moon there. You can see the moon. And then like, sort of decoupaged on top is like um, some bits of material in the shape of clouds and just a big weird shape. I can't really describe what it is. It's like sort of... I don't know if it's supposed to be like a plume of smoke or something. Sure. It looks a little bit like a snake, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody's just like doodled like swirls on top of that as well. It's just odd. I just don't, I don't know. It makes me smile looking at it. I don't even know why. It's just kind of like, what is this? Yeah. Now, and I will say, the other thing I want to shout out is, um, I went to Yamawarashi's uh, website, right? And I spotted, drum roll please, that they have a blog, right? And I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be amazing. And I was looking forward to like, taking the mickey out of some nonsense in this blog, only to find... This is the most like middle of the road blog I've ever read in my life. It's just so matter of fact. Like, here's, I'll give you an excerpt from the blog. This is from the most recent uh, post on the blog, right? Um, Thank you for the amazing press work, Rosie and Johnny. Thank you, Steve, <laughs> from Prior Recordings to make this happen. Album launches third of June. Here are the credits from the album, and then it's just like a list of a list of track lists and credits yeah. and stuff. So I was looking for like you know some sort of mayhem in the blog there, but I didn't get it. No, no. But um, there's a little bit of weirdness in in, in the, the the title of this track. So Makaroi Mizu it means black water, and she said that it comes from a craving to be in nature after moving uh, to London uh, from Bristol. She said I went to Victoria Park and found a nice spot by the trees and a pond which looked great from afar. But when I got there, the water of the pond was black. Um, so, so yeah. So it's, she said it's talking about trying to find a, a quiet spot in the sprawling city. Did she go at night time? Oh, presumably not. Presumably it's just a really, know, it's a really dirty pond. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just something surreal about that, isn't it? It was just full of Coca Cola or something like that. You never know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, a, a load of fun that track. Really enjoyed it. Um, had no clue what I was listening to at all. I like that stuff though. I do like it when it happens. Um, I could actually imagine being at like a, a, a you know, like a an art gallery or a, or a showing of like work, you know, um, and hearing this type of thing over the stereo. I can sort of um, like picture the scene almost. Yeah, it's got it's got a kind of a kind of Yoko Ono. Type thing going on with it, yeah. just uh, yeah, very, very artful. Um, and I've actually, I've actually been living with this track for quite a wee while because this, this track was released um, as a kind of teaser track for the album. So the album just came out on Friday there. Yeah. Um, so I thought it'd be a good time to bring it in. And um, if you were intrigued by that track, I would recommend definitely checking out the album. It's got kind of similar sound palette all the way through. Like, even even though that track's all over the map, it's in terms of like the kind of the bass sound and that kind of thing, it's it's got a very kind of satisfying 
uniform sound to it. Other cohesion. Than cohesion. Yeah, there's definitely cohesion to it, even though it's going all over the shop. Yeah. So I think yeah, if you're in if you're in the market for something a little bit different, then I would recommend giving it a go. Flaming Lips are good at that, you know. Uh, if you have a, a yeah. Flaming Lips record where everything goes all over the joint, but the the core sounds of the main instruments all sound consistent all the way through, and that yeah, really helps. Absolutely yeah, makes sense of things. Right, we are we are running long here, my friend. We have a variety of things to do in this final <laughs> word section um, and uh, eagle-eared listeners will probably have already spotted a little pattern here so take it away my man yep thank you so I think yeah with the, with the Blackbird track that we talked about I think it, I thought it'd be only right to maybe just have us both do a vinyl word and have us both pick uh, some kind of standout Beatles covers yeah. so there's, been, there's been so many over the years Um and yeah, and, and completely disparate styles as well. But I just thought, thought it'd be quite fun just to kind of pick one each and um, maybe talk about some of the ones that that you've enjoyed yeah. uh, about some other artists. I, I, I was I was just also wanted to kind of draw your attention to uh, something that I came up to when I was reading about uh, Helga Eiberg. I found a review of the record on uh, Jazz Blues News. And it starts by the writer saying, I'm going to come clean here. I've never been a fan of the 1960s phenomenon known as the Beatles. <laughs> I, find most of, <laughs> I find most of the lyrics either amateurish or so profound that only they knew what they meant. Mm. However, after dispensing with the words, the vocals, the inept drumming, and the basically average instrumenta- instrumentalists, what do we have left? The music. Uh, and that's how he decides to, to start this review. So, Jeez. There we go. I thought that I, would, I just wanted to get you angry there. <laughs> no, I'll just. I mean, that guy's marked himself out as a weirdo, so that's that's fine. Um, cool. So, uh, so how should we do this? Do you want me to? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, you go first. Okay, so I'm going to give a couple of honourable mentions here to um, particular Beatles covers that I've always really, really liked. Um, first honourable mention is to, of course. Possibly the, the most exciting Beatles cover of all time and legendary, which is uh, Jimi Hendrix's cover of uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which he played live, improvised <laughs> to the Beatles days after the release of uh, Sgt. Pepper's um, and is memorably in his sort of biopic, um, which stars Andre 3000 as, as Jimi Hendrix. And that's such a great scene. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's it's super, super cool. Right, I've not actually seen that film, no. Oh, yeah, it's good. Um, you can probably just find that scene on YouTube as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, also, uh, um, uh, uh, a shout to... Um, uh, what was the other one I wrote down? Uh, Joe Cocker, with a little help from my friends, mm-hmm. um, which I think takes a fairly kind of uh, tuneful, but maybe, you know, not a, not a totally, like, deep... Beatles song and tries to imbue it with like a huge amount of melodramatic energy, yes. um, which I find kind of just funny in a way. Um, <laughs> so that that's not my pick either. No, my pick is uh, one that I'm not sure everyone will be absolutely familiar with. It's not a it's not a top uh, ten Beatles cut, um, but it's certainly a sort of all time top ten artist. So I've actually selected Tina Turner's cover of "She Came In Through the Bathroom Window." Oh wow! As my yep. favorite Beatles cover, yeah. Nice. Um, one that I found, um, I stumbled upon uh, in my teenage years, and I just thought it was like a bit of a, a kind of curio. Um, and uh, when you asked me earlier on, it was the one that it was the one that sprang to mind. Um, so well, that's uh, a cool choice. It's a really cool one. Now she absolutely—it's uh, similar to the Joe, Joe Cocker one actually, anyway, because she absolutely 
belts this out. Um, but I do think it, there are times when her vocal delivery, um, which is her sort of natural Tina Turner you know, rock vocal delivery, and actually McCartney's kind of uh, vocal delivery that he kind of affected sometimes on um, the White Album and, and later records, like his I, Why Don't We Do It in the Road style voice. Yes. They actually kind of cross over on this. And she mm-hmm. sounds a bit like him, and he sounds a bit like her. Um, and uh, yeah, she just absolutely knocks 10 bells out of uh, she came in through the bathroom window her band um, behind her just do an absolutely phenomenal energetic job of just taking this fairly simple Beatles cut and and just you know making it a rollicking rock song when we watched Get Back obviously recently we, we, we did see the Beatles rehearsing this a bunch of times and they obviously felt like there was something in it but they just couldn't quite get it together. I feel like the Tina Turner version of it is the fully realised version of it. Um, so, yes, yeah. that's, that is my selection. Oh, that's a great shout. Oh, nice one. Um, and in terms of my choice, which we'll hear immediately after that, um, some honourable mentions from me. I was I was, thinking, I was going down a kind of soul direction. Actually, in my kind of shortlist, I had come together, the kind of Icantina version of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also Wilson Pickett's version of Hey Jude, just yes. amazing. That's a good one. Uh, Nina Simone's Here Comes the Sun. Otis Redding, Day Tripper, Tripper, Stevie Wonder, We Can Work It Out. It's like all my favourite artists have done like one, <laughs> one track at one point in time. Uh, Aretha as well, Long and Winding Road. Um, there's also an absolutely mad version of Rain uh, by Randy California, uh, oh, who, who's in that. the band Spirit. Um, and he, he's got this excellent album called Captain Copter and his fabulous Twirly Birds. And they do this eight-minute version of Rain, which is just rocking. Um, I love so Rain. I'd, so I'd recommend... I love that track. Yeah, good. Um, so I'd recommend that. But yeah, those are all my kind of honourable mentions. Uh, the one that I've gone for is Esther Phillips, uh, her 1965 reworking of And I Love Her, um, as, as, and I love him. Um, I, just, I just think this is just such a, a classy uh, reinterpretation. Yeah, of a track. It's, it's a so great, cool. it's a great vocal delivery. This one. Oh, it's just, just the mood that she she creates on this track. I just think it's really exceptional. Mm. Funny enough, her delivery here doesn't go down too much. I would say doesn't go down the melodramatic route that 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 no. like the others. I'm maybe maybe mention have have tried, and um, but does take the the Beatles blueprint and kind of move it away from the sort of perky pop version they delivered and, and take it into more dramatic territory. Um, very good, very good. It's a good selection. Classy selection. Excellent. Yeah. Yep, so those two will play us out today in, in style. Yeah, style So let's round ourselves up here then. Let's thank everyone for listening to our humble podcast. Let's let everybody know that they can support us by messaging us on Instagram uh, at We Heard Wonders or on Twitter, same handle. Um, or just texting us or getting DMing us, that's all good. Um, we love your questions, we love your comments, um, we love reacting to your, your messages on Instagram, so please continue to do that. If you feel that you can support the podcast financially, um, then you can do so. You can go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash wonders and you can buy us a couple of coffees. All of the money that you send us there just goes back into the ongoing running costs of the podcast. Um, which includes hosting the podcast and paying for the rights to play, listen to the music and so on. So 
all that good stuff. So if you enjoy the podcast, that would be super, super helpful. Absolutely, guys. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.
Oh, there's a lot. 